I'm John Wilner. Canzano and I disagree on some of our midseason awards. We mostly agree on the officiating situation, and we're going to get deep into that and more on the latest episode. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Canzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Welcome to a new edition of the Canzano and Wilner podcast, everyone. I am John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, Pac-12Hotline.com, syndicated across the Pac-12 footprint, here with my friend, John Canzano. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I, uh, you know, I, I caught my breath. We're, we're mid-season here in the Pac-12, and I caught my second wind. I, I had so much fun watching Utah and USC last week, but for people who want to read me, you can read me at johnconzano.com. That's where you find my columns, my analysis, my insight, my reporting. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. Uh, Wilner, I got to ask you, I uh, for our listeners, listeners, you got to know John Wilner is doing something today that we have all done. He is waiting for a mattress delivery from the mattress company. What kind of window did they give you for this mattress delivery? Yeah, it's like the cable guys, right? I mean, they gave us a, a 12 to 3 window, and now I'm told they're going to be here 45 minutes early instead of late. I'd rather they be here late. So hopefully I'm not going to have to take a break from our chat here to go uh, answer the door for the mattress guys. Well, I hope if if the mattress guys do come early, that would be a surprise because they we all know that anytime I make one of these appointments, they uh, they tend to not communicate and they tend to show up late in the window. I don't know any other industry that gets away with this. Like, you know, like a three-hour window. Like, I host a radio show. We don't go, you know, hey, the show might be on at three. It might be on at six. You know, we'll we'll get back to you. We don't do – nobody else does that. Airplane doesn't take off that way. You know, right, nine to five jobs don't start that way. I would like to have a little more uh, leeway, a little more flexibility in my schedule. And, and yes, we all remember – I remember waiting for like a – I know this is blasphemy on a Pac-12-centric podcast, but I remember waiting for the direct TV installation guy, and he never came. Like I wait, what's Directv? Yeah, exactly. But I just remember the like having them be a no show once upon a time. That's like that's really infuriating. So you got a mattress. Good for you. Was the mattress uh, company was the store having a going out of business sale? Because they always seem to be. No, we're just desperate. My daughter needs a new mattress, and uh, and so we're desperate. And they. You know, we're probably paying 110 percent of uh, of retail price for all I know. I'm just in charge. I'm not in charge of the ordering. I'm just in charge of the the delivery part here. So I love that. Uh, so you are going to take delivery. John Wilner waiting on his mattress. We may get that live on today's podcast. Um, hey, I mentioned the midseason stuff. Uh, you've got a midseason report card out. Let's talk about that. What are you seeing? I mean, the biggest the biggest theme of the midseason, right, is the relevance of the conference nationally. Uh, four teams in the top 15 in the AP poll right now. Only the SEC has as many. The fact that the LA schools are both good for the first time, basically, you know, 15 years, uh, maybe not quite that long, but both LA schools are good. And that's given the conference some, some recognition it hasn't had. It's got some pretty good wins. You got Utah, you got Oregon. Uh, and it's just generally, there's like, it's more exciting to watch the games. There's more, 
you know, important and relevant games. And it hasn't been like this for quite some time. It has been an eat your own situation with a, a very small, soft top. And this year, the top is is pretty stout. Yeah. And I, I think it makes it it makes it more interesting nationally because you obviously get like college game day coming to Eugene for UCLA, Oregon. But, you know, even as you sit down and try to do the tiebreakers for who could get to Vegas, it's too complex right now. It's too early to do it. And because there are four or five teams, and we'll talk about that coming up, that could get there. And it feels like it's just going to be a finish. And that it has not been that way. And in the Pac-12 in the last few years has felt maybe a little bit like the NBA, where you start the season and only a couple of teams really have a chance to to get to the finals or whatnot, maybe three or four teams. And But this season, it it feels really wide open and it makes it, it I think it's made it more fun and frankly I got to be honest it's been a nice diversion that the football is leading the conversation in a lot of ways after having you know uh, UCLA USC defecting to the Big Ten and all that uncertainty with expansion realignment media rights deal all that stuff has sort of faded a little bit to the background as the football is taking center stage and it should be that way yeah and you know one piece of it too is Getting rid of the divisions is helping with the, you know, the excitement factor, right? Because if it was still north and south, I mean, you know, I would at least think Oregon's got the basically got the north wrapped up. To me, they're clearly would be the best team of those six. Um, but now with it, 12 schools all fighting for two spots, it, you know, there's more permutations and there's more uh, interest, I think, in, in these games down the stretch. You want to give away some awards? Let's do it. Let's debate who the coach of the year, the player of the year, the surprise of the year. Uh, let's go through that. Where do you want to start? You know, why don't we start with coach of the year, right? Yeah. I, and I think that you can make a case for a bunch of guys. You know, I picked Chick Kelly. He's got the only undefeated team. I, I, I thought about it for a while because, gosh, the schedule has been pretty darn soft, but they did play very well against Utah in what's been their biggest game to date. Um, and he's done a good job, you know, putting together this team, using the transfer portal, developing Dorian Thompson Robinson. They real everything really fits together very well. He made a move, a defensive coordinator that was essential, I thought. So, you know, I'm I would give it to Chip after six games, but that could change certainly by the end of this weekend with the game in Eugene. Who who did you uh who you think should get it? Yeah, I kept thinking about the game in Eugene because I don't want to give Chip Kelly the award and then have him face plant in, in Eugene. And I think you could certainly argue for Chip Kelly. You can make an argument for Lincoln Riley. Hell, you can make an argument for Kyle Whittingham and how they, they pivoted after losing to UCLA or even Dan Lanning. But the guy I'm going to give it to right now, midseason, I'm going to go with Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. I think he's doing more with less again. I think he's been right there. This team seems to play over its head at times. He doesn't have a quarterback, and he's still winning games, and he's still in this thing. And as I look at the schedule and where they are, I'm looking at a you know a team that is a five-win team that could be sitting on eight, nine, or ten by the end of the season. So I'm giving Jonathan Smith the midseason Coach of the Year award, and I know he's not going to face plan against Colorado this week because – they're playing Colorado and they're at home, but Chip Kelly going to Austin Stadium, the whole the house of cards may fall down, Wilner. Yeah, I know, and that's that would be pretty typical of something I would pick. Uh, but no, I I agree with you about Smith, and that's almost an evergreen situation, right? I mean, he always maximizes their talent, right? It's harder for them to get high level players, but he does a great job with what he has. He's got a system. They recruit to their system. It reminds me a little bit of what Utah was 
five or six years ago when Whittingham was still kind of building, but they would always overperform their talent, you know, and and whether Oregon State can make the jump to where Utah currently is, I don't know. But I see a lot of parallels between Smith now and Whittingham, you know, three, four, five years ago. He needs a quarterback, and I need to see yeah. – I need a good quarterback on this team, and I want to see what he does with one because if you take – any of the transfer QBs that are at other places, if you take Cam Rising, if you take Bo Nix, if you take Michael, if, certainly if you take Caleb Williams or uh, you know some other guys, it, and you stick them on Oregon State's team this year, um, I don't know if they have a loss. Like you know, they may be that team that is sitting in the top ten. Uh, you know, they've got a great defense. They might have the best defense in the conference. And like you said, and here's the other thing I like about Oregon State and what Smith is doing, like. I've been here in this in the state of Oregon covering sports for, you know, 20 something years. So, I'm looking at Oregon State over the years and they have this little engine that could sort of mentality about them. And I think I can, I think I can. And I think it has held them back in some ways. Smith does not embrace that. He said on media day he wanted to go 12 and 0 and get to Vegas. I haven't heard an Oregon State coach talk about that and talk like that before. So, it, you know, he is setting different expectations. And he's not willing to co- sort of go, hey, you know, we're less than, hey, we got a half a stadium. He's not playing to that. And I like that about him. So I'm going Jonathan Smith. He gets the award for the first half of the season. Who's your Who's your player of the year right now at the midpoint? You know, I thought about a whole bunch of quarterbacks, but I'm picking Jacob Cowing, the Arizona receiver, who has just been phenomenal, you know, and relative to uh, players at his position nationally, you could argue he's been he's been the best guy in the Pac-12, right? He's in the top 10 and top five of all the important statistical categories for receivers. He's drawing so much attention. It's opening up from defenses. It's opening up other stuff for Arizona. They got a really good offense. They just can't stop anybody. But I think Cowing has been as good or better uh, than any of the quarterbacks who p- played really well, any of the tailbacks, you know, there've been a lot of there's been a lot of good players this year. I'll go different. I'll go with Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA. I think as long as I'm not giving Chip Coach of the Year at the midpoint, I got to go to the quarterback who's making all the difference. He's just not making the mistakes that he made two and three years ago. He has command of the offense. He looks comfortable. Uh, he's got a lot of weapons around him, and he is uh, spreading the ball around the field in a way that is very efficient. I think he has been the most impactful player. I, I, I thought a little bit about Utah's tight end, Dalton Kincaid. I mean, what a performance he had against USC. Yep. He is a uh, you know he is a tentpole for that offense, but I'm going to go with DTR. Dorian Thompson-Robinson's my, my player of the year. What else you got for the midpoint? Report? Well, I mean, I think we probably ought to talk about officiating, huh? Uh, I think we did that three or four weeks ago, uh, but certainly, you know, and you saw it firsthand in Salt Lake, uh, and I saw it in a bunch of games, it was not a good week for Pac-12 officials. I think there's a couple things going on with them. Like, you know, I've talked to some of the officials in the conference who have confided that they don't feel that there is a pipeline that is set up that helps them get good new officials in the conference. And when I mean good, I mean officials that know what the expectations are, understand protocols. There's a comfort level that officials have on the field. They're, they're, act, they're the third team that's on the field. They have to be able to look at each other from 15 and 20 yards away and, and understand and know who that other official is and, and what, you know, sometimes it's just a look or a hand gesture. So you, there needs to be a comfort level there, and it's just not there, and you can see it on game days. Now, I've been told that 
you know, one of the officials told me that some of the officials that they're getting from other conferences, some of the new officials, are not properly trained. That concerns me. You've written all about David Coleman, the supervisor of officials. He's not qualified to be the supervisor. So there's a whole infrastructure issue that is going on. The Big Sky Conference Commissioner, Tom Wistersill, told me, hey, they've got a consortium with the Mountain West and the Pac-12 when it comes to basketball officials, but they don't have one for football. It makes no sense to me. They need to talk to the Big Sky, say, look, let's train our officials in the Big Sky. We'll take the best ones every year. This will be our feeder system. They need that. That's one thing that's going on. The second part, though, when the official, when the referee, the white hat, is open in the mic, and this happened at Rice-Eccles Stadium on Saturday, open the mic, talking in circles, saying too much, sounding confused. We all know, like if you ever umpired a Little League game or whatever, you got to be decisive. You have to be confident. I don't hear that from the officials when they're cracking the mic. I need them to say a little less and be a little better. Yeah, and that's one of the areas, the communication piece is one of the areas where they have improved. I still contend that overall, the officiating product is better than it was, say, pre-COVID with the previous administration running the conference. Uh, but this this weekend was an undeniable setback. It was bad, and it was bad in a bunch of games, and it was not just bad with judgment calls like pass interference. I mean, you could go – I watched the Alabama-Tennessee game, right? If you go Google – Alabama, Tennessee pass interference. You'll see a ton of stuff of fans complaining about the the call on the the Alabama interception. You know, Saban was asked about it. Alabama turned in video to the SEC office. I mean, Alabama fans are freaking out about some of the calls in that Tennessee game, right? So it happens everywhere. What the Pac-12 can't have is, you know, the bad communication where you don't know what's going on. They can't have the the uh, premature whistles, which is yeah. what happened in the at the end at the USC Utah game, and imagine what would have happened if SC had used those extra five seconds to kick the game-winning field goal, five phantom seconds added to the clock, and Utah loses. I mean, there would have been a revolt in Salt Lake. Uh, and the other thing is, they had one of those in in Seattle too, where an Arizona what really was a fumble. It was ruled uh, a forward pass, and they blew the whistle to stop the play. So Arizona's recovery, they couldn't advance a ball because the play was ruled dead. I'll take so ba- those yeah. are the things that they got to stop. I'll take bad calls. Like we all we all accept there's a there's an element of human error that can't that can't be overcome. But when you are talking about the brand of Pac-12 officiating, it's broken, and that's what you're saying. Like the the hangover from the Larry Scott Woody Dixon era, where they were interrupting replays, and Tony Carendi quit midseason in 2014. It's not gone yet. And I wonder if Merton Hanks, the supervisor or the direct, you know, supervisor of football and George Klyovkov, the commissioner, I wonder if they even understand like the history of officiating in the conference. Like I'm left going like we've all been here. Fans have been here. We've seen it. And I think that's why it feels so old and so apparent is the brand of the officiating is busted. And I don't know that I'll go even further. I don't know that it's fair to most of the officials on the field. Like, I just think it, you know, there are probably a lot of them that are pretty good, that are out there doing their best. They're trying to get the calls right. But there's just some disconnect with sort of the system, the infrastructure that just isn't working. So I think they need a total overhaul, a new supervisor, get a consortium with the big sky, get the Mountain West involved, train your officials, bring them up through the ranks. And then let's get, you know, that referee, that white hat, when he opens that mic, that's he's a spokesperson for the conference and for the officials when he opens the mic. So when he opens the mic, 
He's got to know what he wants to say, and he has to say it, and then he needs to shut up and turn the mic off because what happened at you know, in Salt Lake City was just a bunch of explanation and nobody knew what was going on and everybody was jeering in the crowd. And I thought, gosh, I wish somebody had trained that guy better when the mic is open, get to the point and then turn the mic off. And I think it's really difficult, but it's something they need to look at. I am John Wilner, Pac-12Hotline.com, Bay Area News Group. He is the fabulous John Canzano, johncanzano.com. We've got uh, what limited schedule this week, but one gigantic game. I will tee them up, and uh, you go first. Uh, UCLA and Oregon are going to lead off on Saturday. 12.30 kickoff on Fox. The Bruins and the Ducks. The Ducks uh, about a six-and-a-half-point favorite in this game, Wilner. How do you see it? Yeah, here's my contention on this, is that Oregon's, the perception of Oregon is still being impacted by the Georgia game. Nobody else played Georgia. UCLA certainly didn't play Georgia in the opener. And that is a next level opponent, right? It's not rel- what happened in Atlanta is not relevant to anything the Ducks are doing within the Pac-12. So if if you ignore the Georgia result and just judge the Ducks on what they have done since then, to me, they should be favored by more than six, six and a half points over each other. They should be favored by, you know, seven, eight points, even nine. And I, I think the Ducks are going to win this game, and I think that it's going to be two-possession victory. Uh, they're too good on both sides of the ball. I'm not convinced about UCLA's defense. I think Oregon can score and can get off the field defensively. I like the Ducks, you know, by 10, 12 points. Oregon at home, tough place to play. What is that worth? I keep coming back to it. I think it's worth somewhere between 7 and 10 points. And I agree with you on this one. I initially looked at the spread and went – Gosh, that's a lot of points. Uh, Oregon, even at home, UCLA looks good. But I, I, I agree with you that Oregon is the most complete team. They can do it on both sides of the ball. Uh, very few teams in this conference look competent on both sides of the ball. Dan Lanning, though, Chip Kelly with the extra week. I, I, I normally would be a little concerned about the veteran coaching staff, but Dan Lanning, I think he's got a defensive mind, obviously, from his time at Georgia. I like Oregon in this game. I think they'll cover the six, six and a half. I think they win it somewhere between seven and uh, seven and ten points. Uh, I like Oregon at home. I just think the home field in this game is too much, and it's going to create a whole bunch of chaos in the conference, but we're used to that. Yeah, and, and it's also a huge home field advantage with a, a visitor that has only played one road game. UCLA's only road game was at Colorado, which is you know, kind of a glorified experience. Uh, exhibition game, given given the state of the Buffalo's program. So it is a huge step up in terms of the atmosphere and environment and the, just the general intensity that they're going to face. Arizona State goes to Stanford 1 o'clock Saturday on the Pac-12 networks. Who do you like? I like Stanford. Uh, you know, if they had managed to defend the last play in the Oregon State game properly, they'd have a two-game winning streak, right? Because they went to Notre Dame and won. So they're not very good, but I think that they are a little bit better than we saw the first month, especially given that they had to play, you know, Oregon SC and Washington. Uh, ASU's coming off a they had a bye, two weeks to prepare for the the you know the uh, new coaching staff. I just I think Stanford's going to win the game. I think Stanford's going to end up w- winning. I don't know four or five games this year. Look at the schedule, and and uh, they got a good quarterback. So I, I'm picking the Cardinal to cover that three. I love to see Stanford uh, get its feet underneath it, but I think this is a bad matchup for for Stanford. Arizona State is 
uh, is getting three points in this game, and that surprised me because I think Arizona State can score on Stanford, and I think they can disrupt the quarterback, Tanner McKee. They they did a nice job on Caleb Williams. I think they get a pass rush. I think they're going to sack uh, you know McKee, Tanner McKee, a whole bunch of times. I I think Arizona State wins this game, and I just love that they're getting points in it. Uh, I'll take Arizona State. All right, what do we got? We've got um, Colorado going to Research Stadium, 5 o'clock, Pac-12 Networks on Saturday. Uh, Oregon State uh, has been very good at Research Stadium, but uh, Wilner, uh, Oregon State is a 24-point favorite at home. What, what happens here? Oh, boy, don't you think there's a letdown? I mean, Washington State, that's an important game for the Beavers, uh, and it certainly being their first win over Washington state in almost a decade. I, I got to think that Oregon state is in a vulnerable to a little bit of a letdown here. Now, I don't know that it's going to matter, but boy, for a team that, you know, relies on the running game, uh, they play good defense, but I just don't know that Oregon state is necessarily built to beat anybody by four touchdowns. That's a lot of points. In my opinion, I I like the Beavers to win, but I think Colorado is going to cover. Colorado did something really interesting last week. They, they, you know, they came out, they ran a defense that Cal had not seen. They had players playing positions they had not played before. It was a big surprise for Cal, and I think, you know, I think they stole one at home. Uh, they don't do this at, at Research Stadium. Oregon State has seen it. Oregon State is very good at home. They were 6-0 and last year at home. The only home game that they have lost this season at home was that three-point loss to USC. I, I love the Beavers in this one. I, ju- I, I just can't say enough about it. I, and I think Oregon covers. I think Colorado going to Oregon State, I think there's a real risk here that Colorado doesn't get more than about 10 points in this game. Uh, yeah. Oregon State also last year, you know, they were sitting on five wins like they are now. They went to Colorado and lost in overtime. And I think this team is veteran enough. Jaden Grant, seventh-year senior, out, uh, you know, in the defensive backfield, you've got, uh, you know, Kipper on the offensive line. He's got like 39 college starts. I think they're experienced enough to come into this game knowing they better bring their A game, and I think they will at home. I like them big over Colorado. I don't think that's enough points, but let's see what happens. Finally, Washington and Cal. This is interesting. Washington's going to Cal, 7.30 Saturday night on ESPN. What happens? Well, let's hope that it's not another 12 to 10 game, which we saw, what, three, four years ago. Let's hope it doesn't get uh, delayed two hours by lightning, which happened to these teams uh, a couple years ago. You know, they have played some very close games, but there have been some screwy things going on. I think this is going to be close again. I don't, you know, the Huskies haven't won a road game in like basically a year. And Cal, as bad as they looked at Colorado, Cal's been okay at home. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, what's it? Seven and a half points. Seven and a half. I like I like Cal to cover that, and I think that they're going to slow down Washington's Washington's offense. Right? Huskies have been two different teams, home and road, and uh, this is to me a little bit of a trap game for Washington. You know, it's easy to overlook Cal. They just lost to Colorado. Uh, I I I think Cal's going to rise up here. I I think Cal is actually going to win the game outright. I think Cal covers that seven and a half points that they are getting at home. I love the home teams in the Pac-12. But I, I just I don't trust their offense. I don't trust that they can score. Now they're they're going yeah, up against the, they're going up against a defense that has been porous with Washington. But you know I I feel like this this is my nightmare matchup because you know I I think I've been pretty good on the Pac-12 games, but I have not been good on Cal. I have been all over the place. I thought they would play really well. I thought they'd win at Colorado. I think everybody did. They did not. 
Uh, if they are embarrassed by what happened last week, Cal shows up to play. If they're not, maybe they're disintegrating and pulling apart. So let's see what happens to Cal. But I'll take Washington to win this game, but Cal covers the 7.5. I think I think yeah. it's closer than Washington likes. Cal's all over the place. I don't blame you for feeling like that. I mean, they had 20, 49 points against Arizona, and then they the last two two games they can't, can't score at all. What's the over-under on your mattress delivery? That's the new question, because for people who have stuck with this podcast, uh, any update on your mattress? No, no update, because the little uh, the little app that shows where they are in the delivery process is frozen. It's just kind of, <laughs> you know, that so may- I don't have any. They could show up here in 30 seconds, or it could still be a couple hours, so they should, I don't know. You should be able to track their location, because then you can see if they're sitting, like, in the parking lot of In-N-Out Burger or something, and then you know, hey, like, it's going to be a while. And they won't be here. So well, or if they're at a parking lot in and out, I will go meet them there. Go pick up your mattress, get a burger, (laughs) and I'll just take the mattress home in my trunk of my car. All right, I love it. Uh, We've had big guests on this podcast. We've got some big guests coming down the pipeline uh, that you should stay tuned for. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us some feedback. It helps other people find it and share the podcast liberally. Share it with a friend. When you finish listening to this, who would enjoy hearing about the Pac-12? I know and Wilner know that you know somebody who would benefit from it. So share it. Appreciate you being here, and we'll catch you next time.